The following is from the conference and U.S. support for Israeli apartheid. All conference information is available at www.israelapartheidcon.org. Aza Winstanley is an investigative journalist living in London who writes about Palestine and the Middle East. He's been visiting Palestine since 2004, and uh, he writes for the award-winning news site Electronic Intifada, which I'm sure many are familiar with, where he's an associate editor and co-host of the Electronic Intifada podcast, which is fantastic. Um, he also writes a regular column for the Middle East Monitor, and he's done just outstanding work um, uh, covering this group, Labor Friends of Israel, and sort of similar Israel lobby groups and the impact they've had on the UK Labor Party. I mean, it's a major part of his reporting, including their secret purge lists, the downfall of Jeremy Corbyn, and the mistakes Corbyn made in fighting baseless charges of anti-Semitism, uh, as it was all over those uh, stories. So we're hoping for his insights about the UK given that there's a parallel movement here in the U.S. with, I would say, unremarkably similar aims, the so-called democratic majority for Israel. So, Aza, thank you very much. Well, thanks, Grant, and it's great to be with you all. Um, so, as Grant said, I am going to be talking about the Israel lobby in the U.K. I'm focusing on organizations that term themselves uh, left-wing Zionist organizations left, you know, uh, and they are, in my view, Israel lobby groups and their discourse is in fact right-wing because their discourse is uh, when it comes down to it, Zionist. And there's a lot of the same dynamics with the group Labour Friends of Israel that Phil described actually with J Street, Um, you know, uh, LFI very much terms itself a Zionist group, um, and it, it 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 has a lot of the same dynamics there. Um, so I think that um, and and so to give a very very brief overview of how the Israel lobby works in the UK, it works slightly differently, although there's a lot of parallels. So there's no, the, I'd say the main difference is that there's no direct equivalent in terms of its sheer size and influence to APAC. So there has been attempts to, to sort of start a British APAC. You know, there's this organization called BICOM, the Britain Israel Research and Communications Center. Um, it tends to focus more on journalism um, uh, and it's, it's really nowhere near as big as APAC. It has had managed to have some key influences in a lot of ways, um, but it's, it, it's you know it, it doesn't hold a, a torch to APAC. The real equivalence to APAC in terms of political influence, the lobby's political influence on British politics, and I would say, and I argue, uh, Israeli state interference in the British democratic process are the so-called Friends of Israel groups. So you have conservative Friends of Israel, Labour Friends of Israel. Uh, there's even a smaller Liberal Democrats Friends of Israel. And then there's even a, a UKIP Friends of Israel. Or I mean, I haven't heard much about it in the last couple of years, but there was a brief attempt to start one, I think. Um, so you have these different groups which are aligned with specific political parties. And 
so Labour Friends of Israel is quite similar to a newer group, I suppose, uh, that Grant mentioned, Democratic Majority for Israel. But Labour Friends of Israel is a much older group. So Democratic Majority for Israel was begun in 2018 in the context of the progressive uh, the wave of progressive democratic congress members like uh, Alexandria Casio Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and so forth, the so-called squad, which, um, you know, it, it, initially there was a lot of hope on the left that they would be very different on the, the issue of Palestine, especially since one of them is actually Palestinian herself, uh, Rashida Tlaib. Um, and so it, there was a kind of panic, I suppose, in uh, the progressive Democrat, uh, the, the the Democratic Party establishment, um, and the uh, and within the Israel lobby and this organization, Democratic Majority for Israel, was formed. Its main function has been really attack. You know, it, they went after Bernie Sanders in a big way. They they put out these very expensive attack ads. I mean, I I don't I think I don't think those adverts were very effective actually i mean i think they're pretty poor quality um uh, but i mean i think if bernie sanders had somehow managed to win the the presidential nomination you would have seen a lot more money go into that i think and i I think that that would have been um a very uh a very big thing um phil i can hear some guitar music. Some beautiful music there. Um, <laughs> I just, this is Grant. I just want to applaud whoever is playing that beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Um, yeah. So, uh, so there was this, <laughs> there was this kind of, uh, so Democratic majority for Israel. Uh, this, they, they, they kind of have this function of flak, I suppose. Um, Labour Friends of Israel in the UK has has a quite a similar function in terms of going on the attack and absolutely when they went on the attack against Jeremy Corbyn, but also um, the, the Jewish labor movement did, which is a, another pro-Israel Zionist organization within the labor party. Um, but I'll focus in this presentation on labor friends of Israel a bit. So the, the, one of the main differences with democratic majority for Israel is LFI is a far older organization so it was launched in 1957. So it's, it's, it's old, you know. It, it was launched in the context of the the, the Suez War, the tripartite aggression of Britain, France, and Israel against Egypt when they invaded Egypt uh, uh, after uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser uh, nationalized the Suez Canal. Um, you know, there was this plot to um, invade. Egypt and make, you know, Britain and Britain and France intervene to quote unquote separate the sides and be peacekeepers. But that was all, as was soon found out, was all a pretext. Um, so what happens in, in the context of the Labour Party? So it's important to recognize that the Labour Party, the, the British Labour Party historically was incredibly pro Israel. Like it was very, very, very pro Israel. Like even the most left wing uh, leader, one of the most left wing leaders that the party ever had uh, before Jeremy Corbyn, uh, Harold Wilson, who was really on the soft left of the party, but he had a lot of very left wing uh, cabinet members in, in terms of domestic policy, at least. Um, Harold Wilson was 
an out and out Zionist. Like he was, he was incredibly pro-Israel. You know, he was, uh, he was a part of the Labour Friends of Israel, uh, and and he wrote, he wrote a book about Israel, um, and all these kind of things. Um, so it, Zionism had a kind of ideological um, hegemony over the British Labour Party, really. Um, and and this is described very well in um, Christopher Mayhew's book, Christopher Mayhew and Michael Adams' book, Publish It Not. Uh, Christopher Mayhew being a, f- a former uh, mid-level br- um, British cabinet minister in um, Labour governments in, I believe, the late 40s and 50s. And, and he talks about some of those dynamics there. What happened in the wake of the Suez War is the Conservatives were in power. Uh, and it was Anthony Eden who infamously uh, launched the war because, you know, partly because he had a grudge against NASA and all this stuff. But what happened was the Labour Party, despite its support for Israel, had a kind of qualified opposition to the to the war on Suez. It wasn't a principled opposition. It was more of an opportunistic opposition in terms of that it would be bad for British imperialism, essentially, you know, because this was really the if you look historically at Suez, it was really the last um, British uh, imperialist uh, mission that was kind of it, independent of the American empire. Um, and of course it, the Americans infamously uh, put their foot down after that um, because they hadn't informed the Americans and, you know, all these, without getting into the whole history of that, what I said, uh, essentially what happened was there was a, 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 a the, the, the labor leadership at the time in opposition saw it as a way to um, criticized the government, you know, and they said, well, this will be bad for British interests and so on and so forth, the way they did it, because there was no UN uh, permission for the, for the invasion of Egypt, you know. Um, but they were very much against Nasser as well. Um, it was it was this kind of thing. So it was it was a very limited opposition to the war. However, what that meant was that for the first time among the, the Labour Party elites, the Labour Party uh, polit- political leaders, there was this, um, uh, uh, for the first time since uh, since 1948, I should I should clarify, um, there was a um, there was a real danger of a kind of split, so that the the leadership would that the 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 political hegemony of Zionism and the British Labour Party would start to fall away, and that is indeed what happened historically, you know, and has happened since then. And Jeremy Corbyn was. If we fast forward to 2015, Jeremy Corbyn was really a more of a symptom of that long term decline of the Israel lobby, the Israel lobby's influence. Um, and so Labour Friends of Israel was was formed as a way to kind of get back that influence. Um, and it started off as a membership organisation. Um, so uh, one of the I'll just read a very brief extract from from this book. The British Left and Zionism, History of a Divorce by uh, British academic Paul Kellerman. A very good book on this topic. And he describes the the genesis of Labour Friends of Israel. Um, And he says that LFI had been launched after the Suez crisis with the support of 40 MPs and on the initiative of Politzion leaders. Politzion was a forerunner of Labour Friends, uh, um, the Jewish Labour movement. on the initiative of Politzion leaders who had urged a new approach to rebuild the, lab- the British Labour movement's relations with the Israeli Labour Party. Unlike Politzion, 
LFI did not restrict its members to Jews. In the early 1970s, it reported 17 branches, mainly in London, and 700 members, though they were essentially contacts with few demands made on them. Uh, and then it goes into more detail about its activities. You know, it, it funded study tours for trade union leaders to go to Israel, MPs, uh, party officials and so forth. Um, and But um, by 1978, it was in decline. Now, if you fast forward to today, if you look on LFI's website and they have actually just very recently uh, spruced it up, you know, it, it, it looks quite slick, I have to say. Um, but if you go onto the website, there's no way to join as a member. As a, as a, if you're a Labour Party member, you can't join LFI. So uh, where uh, the JLM, you can join as a, as a member, uh, whether you're Jewish or not. They have, uh, I mean, you have to be Jewish to be a full member, but you can be what they call a solidarity member. Um, so LFI has long since stopped being a um, a membership organization because of just the decline of its popularity of Israel's popularity, um, and just the, the the increasingly, as Phil described, openly right wing uh, turn that Israel has taken over the decades. Um, so instead, what they have is they call what they call supporters. So they have supporters in parliament. So they have MPs who still, even though it's, I mean, as far as I can tell, there's no those MPs just say they're quote unquote supporters and they put them on their their website. And then to a greater or lesser degree, they may be involved in LFI's activities. Um, but what I would so so there's there's similarities and differences between um, LFI and Democratic Majority for Israel. But what I would say is one very close parallel is that this issue of how the issue of Israel and the issue of Zionism has become contested within the grassroots base of the respective centre-left parties. So, you know, time after time, poll after poll shows that um, although the uh, uh, that that um, the Israel lobby has this kind of hegemony at the, the top of the democratic political party in terms of its leaders, um, and uh, and historically it was the same in the Labour Party, and now it's back again with you know the demise of Jeremy Corbyn, Corbyn in the Labour Party. Um, at the base of both parties, it's the exact opposite. You know, it's it's completely uh, rejected. And I mean, this recent article of mine, um, you know, there was a, a, a recent polling of the Labour Party membership, which shows that um, a big majority of Labour Party members support the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. Um, and they also reject the, um, I, I think it was 61% who supports BDS. And they also reject the uh, the anti-Semitism smear campaign against Jeremy Corbyn. And it was even bigger, you know, and the polls all along of the, of the attitude of the Labour Party memberships uh, the attitude of the Labour Party membership to this idea that Jeremy Corbyn was an anti-Semite, is an anti-Semitite, it, it was rejected all along by the membership, um, and it still is now. Um, so, uh, and this article was from just after the, uh, a couple of months after the general, the 2019 general election. That was, that was massive, you know, it was, um, it was 70, it was, it was 60, 70, 73% who who said that anti-Semitism in the Labour Party was either exaggerated or quote unquote invented. So very, very strong. Um, 
So um, I, I would say the major purpose of both organizations, LFI and the, Demo- the, the newer organization, the Democratic Majority for Israel, is FLAC. They are kind of attack dogs to punish and defame politicians who are viewed as critical of Israel. Um, I'd say that LFI has been far more effective against Corbyn in alliance with other groups like the Jewish Labour Movement. Um, so the successes of LFI, we have to admit there has been. So it took part in the end of Corbyn, you know, it's coordinated with the Israeli Labour Party. Um, and at one point, the LFI and the Israeli Labour Party worked together to formally cut the Israeli Labour Party's links to Jeremy Corbyn, to the leader of the Labour Party. You know, that made headlines in this country, in this uh, in Britain's very parochial, uh, you know, corporate press, that it, this was just another example of quote unquote anti-Semitism, which is bizarre. You know, you, you'd think it 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 would be a good thing, um, because you know, as uh, Phil described, you know, the, the Israeli Labour Party is incredibly right-wing and incredibly racist as a Zionist party. Um, so, but LFI now, with the demise of Jeremy Corbyn and the leadership of of Keir Starmer, his successor, um, is very much back. Uh, LFI is very much back in with the leadership. You know, he's had several meetings with LFI, um, the shadow front bench. Um, Keir Starmer's wannabe uh, ministers, if they would ever win a, uh, a general election, which I think incredibly unlikely, regardless of what I would like to see or not. Objectively, I think it's incredibly li- unlikely. Um, several of his shadow front bench are have, have made a show of joining L- LFI as supporters. Um, and Starmer's only real policy, you know, he's been incredibly vague. Like, I mean, regardless of whether or not I support him, which obviously I don't, his, his politics are far to the right of mine. But just objectively speaking, if you look at what he's articulated as the Labour Party's policies under his rule, there's nothing. There's, there's absolutely nothing. You know, there's vague talk about oh, real voters and they do this kind of uh, nationalistic um, nonsense where they, they've started flying the flag, the, both the British flag and the English flag. And um, they're, really, they're just trying to get to what they view as the halcyon days of, of New Labour, of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown um, and so forth. Um, but he does. Ha- there's one exception. He does have one policy which he has carried out very extensively, and that was one he declared during the um, the leadership campaign to succeed Jeremy Corbyn as leadership of the the leader of the Labour Party. And that was when he told um, and is the Israeli site uh, Times of Israel. Well, it was reported in the Times of Israel anyway. Quote: I support Zionism without qualification. So this was during a uh, debate um, organized, jointly organized by the Jewish Labour Movement and Labour Friends of Israel. And all three of the candidates, actually it was four at that stage, one of them later dropped out. Um, that It was four at one stage. I, I can't remember if Emily Thornbury took part in that debate or not. Actually, I don't think she did. Anyway, all of the uh, candidates declared that they were either Zionists or supporters of Zionism, you know, uh, and that even included Lisa Nandy, who was at that stage supposedly uh, the the leader of a group called uh, Labour Friends of Palestine, which is really a kind of um, 
defunct group it hasn't really had any activities in the last couple of years um so it it was this it was a very clear signal that zionism was back in the political hegemony of the british labor party in terms of its leadership um so starmer's in my view keir starmer they see their job as uh, keir starmer and the people around him their only real job is actually to purge the labor party of its membership because the membership has um the membership is still overwhelmingly sympathetic with jeremy corbyn and with the the agenda for change that he put forward because it was really i mean objectively speaking corbyn's uh, political agenda was not very different to um, to even right wing Labour leaders of the past, even some you know Tory leaders, Conservative governments before Margaret Thatcher. The the policies of Jeremy Corbyn would not have been out of place in. Um, where he was different was that he had this anti imperialism, that he had this uh, very um, uh, cynical attitude towards skeptical attitudes towards the Britain's role in the world and Britain's um, subservience to the British, to, to the American uh, military uh, presence around the world, uh, American wars and, uh, in, and of uh, support for the Israeli government. Um, so that was different. And that was why there was such an all out war against Corbyn. Um, so, I support Zionism without qualification was Keir Star is really Keir Starmer's only real policy. Um, so, so what we do know about LFI is that it is effectively a, in my view, a front organization for the Israeli embassy. It has, it has incredibly close ties to the Israeli embassy. And this um, explains in my view, why Part part of the reason, at least, why it is not a mass membership organization. It's not actually formally affiliated to the Labour Party, unlike the Jewish Labour Movement, which is able to argue that it's, you know, the representative of the uh, of the Jewish quote unquote Jewish community within the Labour Party. Um, the, the LFI doesn't, and then and because it, there's this formal affiliate thing, they they uh, relationship with the party, they they have to disclose certain things, but. LFI doesn't have that, you know, it's, it just calls itself LFI, high profile politicians support it, therefore it is associated with the Labour Party. But in reality, there is this intimate um, relationship with the Israeli embassy. uh, And the main reason that we know this is thanks to Al Jazeera's series, The Lobby, um, which I mean, I'm sure most people will be familiar with it, but it was an undercover investigative series, which Al Jazeera came out with in 2017. They spent six months undercover in the Israel lobby in the UK and the revelations that it came up with were really brilliant. Um, But I think it's worth just playing this quick clip to remind us of a scene in it. Some people would be happy to be involved in a young LFI. We wouldn't necessarily be 
happier for the team than them this evening. I think Shy helping with the background, yeah. I think definitely you know, keeping sharp today and letting them know what we're doing. I think we just have to be careful for it not to be seen as you know, young Israeli embassy, like we want it to be distinguished by itself. So, like, we, we do work really, really closely together. So it's just publicly, you know, we sort of try and keep, you know, elevate a separate identity to the embassy because being LFI allows us to reach out to people who want to get involved in the embassy. Keeping it a separate thing is actually better for everyone because ultimately we've got the same end goal of, you know, getting more young people. Thanks. So that was Michael Rubin, one of Labour Friends of Israel's staff members. Um, and he was speaking to Al Jazeera's undercover journalist who he thought was a pro-Israel activist. And they, what had happened is that Shai, this man from the Israeli embassy that uh, Michael Rubin was talking about in that clip, had really recruited Robin uh, to start a new organisation, which would have been Young LFI, a youth wing of Labour Friends of Israel. Um, and you see in that clip that Michael Rubin is very, very self-conscious about not being seen to be directly controlled by the Israeli embassy. But he said, we actually do work really closely together, but it's good to have separate identities because otherwise there would be too many people who wouldn't want to have anything to do with us. And this speaks to what I was describing earlier about the historical decline of the uh, the image and the popularity of the state of Israel within the the grassroots of the British left. Um, so uh, Shai was, of course, was Shai Massot, who was really the centre of this undercover investigation. Um, he he was supposedly a uh, polit- senior political officer at the Israeli embassy. Um, documents that we later obtained at the Electronic Intifada um, after later on, uh, after the Al Jazeera um, revelations, suggested that he was very much actually a uh a part of the ministry of strategic affairs which is a sort of covert uh semi-covert uh intelligence agency really in my view you know it's, it's a ministry um but it's it's really involved in undercover activities and political interference you know so what what we have in the british israel lobby it, it is um a uh, you know there's all these groups which are ostensibly independent and they do have their own degrees of agency and they do have their own um, degrees of separation but a lot of these groups are either directly front organizations um, or coordinated with the state of israel itself and we saw this dynamic very much at play with shai masok where he was putting forward um, he was putting forward Robin, who he also thought obviously was a pro-Israel activist, to be the leader of this new organisation, Young LFI. Um, and um, and so we see that um, we see two dyma- dynamics at play. There's this kind of uh, fear that they're going to lose their influence. And, you know, it, it's it, as Phil said, you know, once these things start changing, they can happen very, very quickly you know that things can change the sort of political hegemony that i described can be lost very very quickly 
Um, and I think those the same dynamic, dynamics are very much in play. But the other dynamic that we see is that they are still very much clinging on. Michael Rubin now, he was then uh, a sort of junior staff member of LFI. It, it wasn't very big. They only had, uh, I believe, two or three um, staff members. Um, and they had a series of volunteers. And, of course, they had MPs who worked for them, uh, like Joan Ryan. Um, but... Uh, Michael Rubin is now being promoted. He's still there. He's now the director of LFI. And he played a really important role in Corbyn's takedown, which I don't have time to get into, but he authored a secret report as um, under the, uh, the, the label of uh, Labour students, which was a sort of right-wing group, infamous right-wing group within the Labour Party. Um, and he that report on so-called anti-semitism which was allegedly taking place at the oxford university labor club had a really devastating effect and it really played a key role in the whole narrative of um you know alleged anti-semitism within the labor party and that was authored by this same guy who was in quote close coordination with shai masot close coordination with the israeli embassy with the state of israel's intelligence organizations you know that's what it was um the the uh the ministry of strategic affairs is staffed by former members of uh, israeli military intelligence mossad and other israeli spy agencies so you know what we've got really is covert interference in the democratic political process of foreign states by what is a hostile foreign power is certainly hostile to the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn. Um, so to, I think I've almost certainly run out of time, so I better wrap up. Um, the The bad news is that these smears of anti-Semitism, they worked against Corbyn in terms of power. Corbyn is doubly out of the Labour Party. He's no longer the leader of the Labour Party. He was briefly suspended as a member. Um, he came, he's now, he's a Labour Party member, but he's not a Labour Party MP, you know, because Keir Starmer's blocked him from being uh, uh, in the Labour group in Parliament. Um, so he's been, you know, kind of cast out of the Labour Party in that way. But the good news is in the long term that the disinformation campaign failed to convince the majority of the Labour Party, as the as we showed earlier in the polls, which suggest that reject it. And just anecdotally, if you speak to Labour Party members, no one really believes it. But you you um, you kind of have to say it if you have a high profile mainstream media platform, um, which is why I never get invited on to the BBC Channel 4 or even something like Navarro Media. Um, so uh, in so it, there was Al Jazeera, of course, filmed a second series on the Israel lobby in the USA, which there's a whole story about that, which was it was censored. I don't have time to get into that. But there's a really key moment in that. You can watch it online at the Electronic Intifada. There's a really key moment in that where Eric Gallagher of the Israel Project, another smaller um, Israel lobby organization, he used to work for APAC too, um, and he is lamenting in that scene at the end of the series where he says that um, their influence is no longer what it was. Um, and he says that, um, and actually not long after that, in 2019, his own group collapsed under a, a, what it cited as a funding crisis. And what Eric Gallagher said was, quote, the foundation that APAC sat on is rotting. There used to be actual widespread public support for Israel in the United States. 
So I don't think APAC is going to remain as influential as it is. I don't think that APAC is a tip of the spear anymore, which is worrisome because who is? And I, I think the exact same worries are happening within the uh, British Israel lobby, which is why we saw such a, a real moral panic and freak out about Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and, um, you know, these are this is the kind of good news for us, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, that really concludes my presentation. Excellent. And, um, thanks for listening.